like you don't want the fan every Sunday. Yeah, but I teach longer than you, and don't forget that. Not tonight, baby. I'm going all night. <laughs> all right, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Moses. We're going to be talking about Moses tonight. This is so good. I'm so excited to share in the Word with you guys tonight. Hasn't this been a fun study of faith the last several weeks? Sad that it's almost over. Only a couple more weeks and we're done. As you're there in Hebrews 11, why don't you hold your finger there and turn back to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, when you get it, say, got it. All right, church, let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we have it. We thank you that you have preserved it for, through generation and generation and generation. And Lord, we thank you that this word and this story of the life of Moses and the stories of these men and women of faith, thank you, Lord, that thousands of years later, they are so applicable to our lives. And today, Lord, tonight, you want to speak prophetically into our lives like only you can. And so, Lord, we, we just proclaim that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as you spoke into their lives and stirred them to walk by faith, Lord, we ask that you would do that in our hearts tonight. Lord, where there's an area where we've been struggling to walk by faith or maybe an area of sin or complacency in our lives, Lord, would you just come and minister to us in that area? Would you speak to us exactly where we are? Thank you that you and you alone as our Heavenly Father know the place in our lives that we are tonight. So we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us by your word. I just surrender, Lord, my thoughts and my mouth, my heart, and ask that you would speak. As I open my mouth, it would be as the oracles of God. You would speak to us, your church, your children tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here in Exodus chapter 14, it's kind of the end of uh, the, the process of the plagues and all this. And, and now Pharaoh has let the children of Israel finally leave Egypt. And they have left. They're right at the Red Sea. And Pharaoh is just mad. He's heated. He realized, man, they are going and they're never coming back. They didn't just go to the wilderness to sacrifice like they had kind of alluded to. They're going and they're never coming back. We lost all of our workers, all of our slaves, all of our servants. Let's get the armies. Let's go after them. And here they are, the children of Israel at the Red Sea, about to cross the Red Sea. And most of us are probably familiar with this story, but we're just going to read a few verses here to kind of remind ourselves about the faith of Moses and, and just one of the, the many ways that God called him to walk by faith. Here in Exodus 14, we'll start in verse 10. And one Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Verse 21. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. I love that the Lord takes off people's chariot wheels. So that they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Down to verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. It's this kind of faith in the book of Exodus chapter 14 that we look at and we're just like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, we've read it so many times and we've seen the movie The Prince of Egypt and it just seems like, yeah, man, the Lord's amazing. That's the kind of stuff that, that he did. I, yeah, sure, that's the kind of stuff that he does. But can you imagine standing before the sea with a few million of your brethren and the Lord saying, put your staff, that stick in your hand, into the water and I'll part it and make walls on both sides and dry up the ground so you'll walk through. It's this kind of faith that we look at and we marvel at. It's these kind of stories that just boggle our minds. But we need to ask ourselves tonight, where did this kind of faith come from? Where in Moses' life was this rooted? And I think it's interesting that we'll find it. The beginning of this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23, where this faith was rooted. And I think some of us will be encouraged. Hopefully all of us will be encouraged by it tonight. Have five points tonight in regards to faith and Moses. The first one being this. Moses was living in a legacy of faith. Let's read verse 23 together. I'm sorry, not 23, my bad. Uh, yes, verse 23, my bad again. <laughs> by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. This passage of Moses and Moses walking by faith begins not with a description of the faith of Moses, but of the great faith of his parents. Isn't that interesting? Now, the first read here, you're just like, yeah, this, this passage is about Moses and, and him bringing the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and the, him believing the Lord and then taking them to the promised land. But it doesn't start off, the author of Hebrews doesn't start off talking about the faith of Moses. He starts talking about the faith of Moses' parents. And this legacy of faith that Moses would be a part of, this legacy of faith begins with the kind of faith that overcomes fear. A faith that overcomes fear. It says there in verse 23, 
And they, the parents of Moses, were not afraid of the king's command. What was the king's command? Exodus chapter 2. Kill every male child that is born of a Hebrew woman. The Pharaoh saw that the Egyptians were becoming great in number than the... I'm sorry, that the Hebrews were becoming great in number than the Egyptians. And he said, whenever there is born of a Hebrew woman a son, let the, the daughters live, but whenever there is a son... Kill him right at the birth. And it says here that the faith of Moses' parents, that it overcame fear, was that kind of faith that overcomes fear. It's been said before that faith and fear are opposites. Faith is the opposite of fear. And so fear is the opposite of faith. And we can choose in our lives to either walk and make decisions according to fear, which is easy to do, or we can walk and make decisions according to faith. And it was their faith that overcame their fear when the Pharaoh said, Kill every male child that is born of a Hebrew woman. And it says there in verse 23 that they were not afraid of the king's command. What could cause a person to rebel against the Pharaoh of Egypt? Are you kidding me? The Pharaoh. It was only a sincere and deep faith in God. Now, it says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10 tells us the source of faith. How it comes is by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. We see this all through Hebrews chapter 11. Noah, he had a word from the Lord about building the ark, right? He had a word from the Lord that there would be a flood, build an ark. And so he moved in faith. Abraham had a word from the Lord to pick up from his homeland, take his family and move to a place he had never been before. The Lord spoke to him. And so Abraham got up and moved in faith. Abraham and Sarah had a specific word from the Lord on a couple different occasions that they would have the promised child, that God would give them the promised son, Isaac. And so they got up and they moved in faith. When they were 100 years old, they said, all right, let's do what married couples do so we can have a baby, even though it seemed that Sarah's womb was dead. They had a word from the Lord, and so they moved in faith. Uh, Isaac and Jacob, they received promises from the, from the Lord. They received the word of God, and so they, they lived by faith. Joseph talked about last week. I wasn't here, but I heard it was just amazing. He had a, always a specific and prophetic word from the Lord that caused him to walk by faith. If Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, then we should be able then to gather that the parents of Moses must have had a word from the Lord in order to walk by this kind of faith. They had to have had some kind of specific word from the Lord. If, if faith comes by hearing the word of God, then no doubt these people had a word from the Lord. The Lord must have said to them, I've got a plan for this boy. When this son comes, I have a plan for him. Set him apart for my purpose. Now, it says here in verse 23 that they hid him because they saw that he was beautiful. So, so what does it mean then? Did they hide him because they had a word from the Lord? Well, it says that they did it by faith. Or did they hide him because they saw that he was beautiful, as it says here? Well, here's what I suggest. Maybe the Lord had spoken to them, when you have this child, here's what he's going to look like. And he is going to be beautiful. And when you see that this beautiful son is born, 
That's the one that you need to set apart. That's the one that I'm going to use for my glory. And so then when he was born, they said, yeah, look at this is the one the Lord described. He is beautiful. And so when they saw this is the one, they said, yes, let's set this part, this son apart for the work of the Lord. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. If they had hid him simply because he was beautiful, it would have been by affection. If they had hid him out of terror of the Pharaoh's command, it would have been by fear. But it is clearly stated by what they acted. They didn't act by affection. They didn't act because of fear. They acted by faith. It says that by faith, they hid their son. E.W. Bollinger, I think is how you pronounce his last name, and Great Cloud of Witnesses, on page 224, he says, Affection would not have driven away their fear. It would have increased it. The more they admired and loved the child, the more would they fear lest any evil should happen to it. But it was not so. It was by faith. And the more they loved, the less they feared. Isn't it true in our lives that when decisions are made by fear and by feelings, that it has a tendency to increase our fear and increase the confusion of our feelings? Isn't that true? When we, when we step out and we make decisions in fear just by how we're feeling, that our emotions become even more clouded and the fear becomes even more strong. But you know, in a similar way, decisions made in faith increase our faith and cast out fear and build our confidence. And this was the kind of decision that, that was made by the parents of Moses here. It was a decision not made by fear. It wasn't a decision made by affection. It was a decision made by faith. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by emotions. We don't walk by what we can see or what is substantial or what is in front of our eyes or what we feel in our hearts. But we have to. The Lord calls us to walk by faith. At this point of the life of Moses' parents, they, they could have been ruled and driven by the fear of the the word of man, which was, kill your son or you'll be punished. Or they could have been driven by faith in the word of God. And they chose to walk by faith. Even though there may have been consequences, they said, we will walk by faith. So then, why is their story, though, in this passage of Scripture that is speaking of Moses. It doesn't even name the parents. It doesn't even say what their names were in Hebrews chapter 11. And I, when you're reading fast, you know, I have to admit, when I, when I read this, I've read this passage so many times just going through the Bible, and I, I never caught it before. That when I, when I read that, that it was the faith of his parents that is mentioned here. Why is their faith mentioned in, in this part of Scripture? Because Moses' parents modeled a lifestyle of walking by faith. And I think that when Moses grew up and eventually heard the truth about his heritage, you know, the, the daughter of Pharaoh found him um, in the, along the riverbanks and, and took him and made him her own. And as he grew up, no doubt stories would, would have traveled around with his friends and eventually he found out his heritage, heritage. And I think as he realized the source of where he came from, that this story of faith was passed down to him. The story of faith that his parents weren't willing to kill him, even as the Pharaoh said. But they took him and they set him on the, the riverbanks 
and that he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, his parents modeled faith. And so when Moses was old enough, he followed in the footsteps of his parents. It's the same thing with Noah. We looked at him several weeks ago. God gave him a command. 120 years later, the flood would actually come. When Noah was building the rooms in the ark, he was building rooms also for his children. When his children got on and their wives, they, they had a place to stay. But Moses had no idea if 120 years later, his children would be walking in righteousness. Only the righteous were allowed to go on the ark. But Noah, in faith, built those rooms. In faith, hoping, praying that his heritage, that his legacy would be passed on to his children, that his children would see his faith and his righteousness and say, yeah, I want to follow in the righteousness of my father. I want to follow in the righteousness of my parents. And sure enough, 120 years later, they were, they were walking in righteousness and they got onto that ark just as Noah had built the ark in faith for his children. And I, I pray and I hope that my life, when my daughter gets older and she's married and has kids and they're, they're faced with a situation and, and they're like, man, the Lord's calling us to do thus and so, but there's no means for it. There's no provision for it. It doesn't look right. I don't understand it. That they can look back to, to our lives and my daughter can say, Man, but you know what, honey? I remember. I remember my parents. I remember when we had no money or we had barely enough money to get by and this and that happened and my parents in faith said, you know what, no, this is what the Lord's calling us to do and even if we don't see the provision for it, we're going to move out in faith. And the Lord was faithful to my parents and honey, let's walk in that kind of faith. You know, I want that kind of legacy and this is the kind of legacy that, that Moses was following after. Our second point tonight Moses, by faith, refused, he chose, and esteemed. Let's read in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. It says here that when Moses became of age, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says uh, the talking about the same time it says that when moses was grown and it's interesting to i think it's noteworthy that this word grown in the hebrew i, I think it's pronounced gadol it speaks not of age but of stature and importance it doesn't mean when moses was old enough like he had started puberty or something it means that when he was of stature and when he was of importance when Moses became of an age when he would begin to have some authority in Egypt, when he became of an age when he would have a position in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it was then that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Just at the time when he could have had some clout, when he started to have some authority, some power, some influence in Egypt as the grandson of Pharaoh, it was then that he chose to, be not, to not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
by the fact that he chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter must mean that he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We could conclude then from that that by formal adoption, he was the grandson of Pharaoh, and listen to this, very likely to inherit the throne of Egypt. There is no reason biblically that we wouldn't believe that Moses was eventually going to be Pharaoh. There's no reason to believe that someone else was going to take over the throne. It is very likely that Moses would have been eventually the Pharaoh in Egypt and had all the power. I mean, Egypt. Egypt's like, you know, Britt was talking about it last Sunday. The Lord has humbled them. The Lord has cursed them because they cursed his people. They're nothing anymore, but they used to be somebody. They used to be everybody. And Moses very likely would have inherited the throne of Egypt. Now, if faith really does come by hearing the word of God, then we should also be able to conclude that Moses must have had a word from the Lord to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If hearing really comes by the word of God, as the word of God says it does, then Moses must have had a clear word from the Lord to say, Moses, you need to refuse. When you become of age and influence to where you're kind of initiated as, yes, this is the grandson of Pharaoh, this is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, you need to refuse that because I have a different calling on your life. Moses, you need to refuse. And had Moses agreed to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, I'm sure that his life would have been a whole lot easier. I'm sure his life would have been so much easier. No doubt he would have had all the prestige and power of the house of Pharaoh. No doubt he would have had all of the influence and persuasion of the house of Pharaoh. All the authority and power of the house of Pharaoh would have been his, no doubt. He would have had all of the wealth and prosperity of the house of Pharaoh. I even bet that when he got old enough, he would have had a big fat pension from the house of Pharaoh. Everything that he would have ever wanted and dreamed of, materially speaking, he would have had being the son of Pharaoh's daughter had he not refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It takes faith to believe that the unseen riches of God are better than the material riches of the earth. You wonder sometimes why you, why you can't get through your mind, why I can't get through my mind and my heart, that the unseen riches of God are better than the material riches of this earth? Maybe we need to pray for more faith. Maybe we need to be digging into the Word of God, which produces faith a little more. That we can walk by this kind of faith. That we can esteem the, the riches of God better than the treasures of this world. But aren't these the things we so often live for, you guys? Prestige? I mean, come on, especially in America. Power, influence, position, prosperity. It takes so much faith to refuse these things, the influence, the power, the the wealth of the world, and to give all of your life, all of your gifts and talents, all of your resources, all of your passion and desire to a God that that you can't see or touch. It takes faith. But it, that's, all, that's how the Lord calls us to walk. And I love that as we walk by faith, the Lord is so faithful to just come through on His promises. Moses chose, verse 25, 
He refused, and now he chooses, verse 25, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And not only did he choose it, but he esteemed it, verse 26. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. It wasn't just that Moses was choosing the lesser of two evils, and he was like, oh, I... I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll go with this one. But he esteemed the suffering of Christ. The suffering of Christ, he esteemed it. Why? Because it was for the sake of Christ. It was for his God, for his Savior. How though? Why? Are you kidding me? First of all, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that there is a blessing in being persecuted for his sake. And then the apostles confirmed in Acts chapter 5 when they were beaten for their faith in Jesus Christ and they came out just rejoicing and excited. There is a blessing in being persecuted for Christ's sake. But second of all, what we see here, the scripture tells us why and how Moses esteemed the, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. It says at the end of verse 26, check it out. He looked to the reward. How did he esteem suffering for Christ better than the riches of Egypt? He looked to the reward. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If anybody could speak of the sufferings of this present time, it was Paul the Apostle. It was Paul the Apostle who could speak of such gnarly sufferings. And he was saying... The gnarliest of gnarly sufferings on this earth are not worthy to be compared with the gnarliness of the goodness and the glory of eternal life and of heaven. He said, the badness of this earth is not worthy to be compared with the goodness of heaven. You shouldn't even put them on the same page, he's saying. It doesn't even deserve to be in the same writing, in the same thought process. And so Moses esteemed the riches of Christ better than all the treasures of the world. And it wasn't just that Moses was looking to the earthly reward of, of seeing the children of Israel inherit the land. In fact, he wouldn't even see the children of Israel inherit the land. He wouldn't even get to go in. In fact, the generation that was going with them wouldn't even get to go in. It wasn't just that he had hope of seeing them inherit the promised land. It was that he had a hope of seeing and gazing into the eyes of his God and Savior And hearing the voice of the Lord say, Well done, son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on, buddy. Enter into the joys of your Lord. That was what he looked to. That was what caused him to keep going. He looked to the reward. His hope of heaven was what enabled him to be able to turn his back on everything he had, everything he knew, everything that made sense to him, and follow hard after God with absolute unhindered obedience and that's our hope church the bible says that christ in you is the hope of glory christ in us is the hope of glory now one more thing while while we're here it would have been very easy for moses to receive the word of the lord and not fully understanding the word of god disobey that word Moses could have received the word of the Lord that he was going to be God's chosen vessel to deliver the children of Israel and that he was to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and all that came with it and just said, 
Lord, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. In fact, I could figure out a way to work it the opposite, Lord. And so I'm, I'm not going to obey that word because I don't, I don't fully grasp how that's going to work out. Instead, Lord, I have, a, I have a better plan. See, had he become the Pharaoh, he could have with a word said, the Hebrew people are not slaves in Egypt any longer. We're setting them free to be slaves and just to live as people on this earth. To live as people in this country. He would have had the authority and power to do so had he become the Pharaoh. And he could have said, Lord, you want to deliver your people from being slaves? Look it, we can deliver the people and I can get all the wealth and everything that comes from being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Lord, I can have best of both worlds. Why, Why don't we just do that? He could have taken the easy route out, but he didn't. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is led up to the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days of praying and fasting, the devil comes to him and he says, why don't you turn that stone into bread? And the Lord says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word of God. And then he takes him up to the the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, Jesus, why don't you jump off? And the Lord will give his angels charge over you and they'll rescue you lest you dash your feet and get hurt. Why don't you do that? In other words, why don't, why don't you jump off and when the angels come and rescue you, all the people down there will see, whoa, that guy's flying through the air. He must be the, sorry, he must be the Messiah. He must be who he really says he is. Jesus, why don't we do it like this? Forget about the cross. Forget about the suffering of the cross. Why don't you just jump off now when everyone can say, oh yeah, look at that miracle. He is who he says he is. And then he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, all of these I will give to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Satan was trying to tempt him to take the easy way out. You see, the people would believe that Jesus was who he said he was. The people would believe that he was the Messiah. And ultimately, Jesus, who is the rightful king of the earth, would and will rule over every kingdom of the world. But Satan was tempting Jesus to take the easy way out, the way that makes sense to the carnal man, to the carnal mind. But Jesus wasn't a carnal man. He wasn't walking with a carnal mind. And he said, no, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And I am sure that when there was born a son of a Hebrew woman who was called to be uh, chosen by God to deliver Israel, that Satan a few thousand years earlier, was doing everything in his power to thwart the plan of God. He had the people of Israel right where he wanted them, in slavery to Egypt. God couldn't deliver on his promises. God couldn't fulfill his promises as long as the children of Israel were in slavery here. Where else was Satan? He wasn't in the United States. He wasn't on Sunset Boulevard. No doubt he was back there. He was, I'm sure, in Egypt, just loving the fact that the people of God We're in slavery. And I have no doubt that Moses must have been tempted with the same temptation. You know, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But so are the tactics of the devil. The same things that he tried to do with Adam and Eve in the garden are the same things he tempts us with now. Same exact things he tempts us with now. And I have no doubt that a few thousand years earlier, the tactics of the enemy were the same. I'm sure that there was a point when Moses was tempted and just said, Man, Lord, wouldn't it be easier to just 
free the children of Israel and I get all the stuff of, of the house of Pharaoh, it'd just be easier like this. I can enjoy all the passing pleasures of the world and you can deliver your people. But God would not deliver Israel through the devising of man. It wouldn't be by the flesh. It wouldn't be by might or by power. But God said he would deliver Israel with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so he was choosing by my mighty hand, by my outstretched arm, I will deliver this people. It will be by my spirit, a work of my hands. And so Moses said, yeah, that may not make sense to me, Lord, but I'm going to follow through with what you said. This way it looks easier. I could have the best of both worlds. But Lord, you said this, and so I'm going to follow through with it. And I think we can be encouraged tonight uh, by Moses' faith, by Jesus' obedience. And I think we ought to be warned tonight by the tactics of the enemy, by the character of Satan. That so often he says, yeah, that's what the Lord wants to do, right? And you're like, yeah. He says, well, look at this easier way. Let's do it like this. And it's usually a way that's going to bring glory to him and to ourselves and not to our creator. Our third point tonight, by faith, Moses moved. Verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he forsook Egypt. It's a verb, forsook, right? Yeah? By faith, he forsook. By faith, he acted. By faith, he moved. We looked at this uh, a few weeks ago because it's what the Bible says about faith, but James 2.22, speaking of Abraham, says, faith was working together with his works, and faith is and by works, faith is made complete. Action completes faith. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk, another verb, by faith and not by sight. It doesn't say we have faith and not sight. Faith is not something that we just have. We walk by it. We move by faith. The Lord calls us to act on and by faith faith if the Lord is speaking to you tonight if the Lord is speaking into your life and saying get up go you've got to do it in faith you've got to obey and, and move in faith to simply hear the voice of the Lord and believe the voice of the Lord is not enough our action proves that we believe the voice of the Lord in James two nineteen and 20 it says you believe that there is one God you do well but even the demons believe and shudder. But do you, know, do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, we've got to remember that sometimes our walking by faith means waiting in faith. Moses was in the land of Midian for 40 years before God said, Hey dude, go back to Egypt and perform the work which I've called you to perform. Mo, uh, Noah was waiting 120 years until... The floods actually came. Abraham received the word of the Lord about the promised son Isaac. And 25 years later, God actually gave him the son. Sometimes walking by faith means waiting in faith. I've, I said this last time I taught, but the Lord always calls us to do that. He's calling us to do that right now. Six months ago, the Lord spoke to us something about that he was going to uh, give, us, give us a place to build the studio for this ministry that we've been starting in. When the Lord speaks to me something like that, I'm like, all right, rad, tomorrow, Lord, where's the place? 
Where, Lord? Driving down streets and carp, Lord, where's the place? Six months later, still just holding on to the word of the Lord. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the substance of things hoped for. And it says there in verse 27, that by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. At this point in the book of Exodus, chapter 10, it was the, right before the last plague. There had been nine other plagues. And the Pharaoh was so heated and so mad at Moses that he said, hey dude, get out of my sight. If I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. A sure command and promise from the Pharaoh of Egypt that if he ever saw Moses again, he would kill him. And it says that Moses feared not. Why? His faith overcame fear. Just as a generation earlier, his parents' faith overcame fear at the command of the king. Now Moses' faith overcame fear. And it says at the end of verse 27 that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Not only did his faith overcome his fear, but his faith stirred in him an endurance to keep running toward the goal as if he could see the very face of God. It says that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's why it says uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, you can just look right there, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. These stories of faith, it is faith like this that should stir in us endurance to walk by faith. Looking unto Jesus, who we can't see, but who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Has He started a good work of faith in you? Has He begun to speak something that's causing you to walk by faith? He'll complete it. He always does. He'll be faithful to complete the good work that He started. Notice here that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Not seeing him who is invisible. It was as if he had seen him who is invisible. Faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. There's not very many times in our lives when the Lord will actually let us see the substance, actually let us see the evidence. Sometimes the real clear, simple word of the Lord and his past track record is all the substance and evidence that we have. And it should be, church, all the evidence that we need to walk by faith. Fourthly, and next two will be hopefully pretty quick. Well, this one's not going to be that quick. We'll see how we can do. By faith, Moses obeyed. Verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of, of the blood. It's noteworthy that every verb in, the, uh, in this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is in the past tense. They did. They did that. There's three, though, that are in the present perfect tense. This is one of them. By faith he kept the Passover. In the present perfect tense, which means he kept it, yes, then. But the effects of him keeping it are continuing even to now. And the influence of them are even now. He kept the Passover. It's in the perfect present tense. 
All of Moses' other acts, they're done. They're gone. But this one remains. It says that by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. I think we all know what the Passover is, and for sake of time, I'll just allude to it real quick. It was the tenth plague. God was judging Egypt by taking the firstborn from every household. And he said, Moses, tell the children of Israel to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood and put it over the, the lintel and the doorpost of the houses. And I will come and the angel of death will take the firstborn from every house. But on the house of which I see the blood over the doorpost, I will pass over that house. I will have mercy on that house. I am the Lord. The sprinkling of the blood. It was a picture of things to come. When a few thousand years later, the Lamb of God would go to the cross and be sacrificed and His blood would be shed and not only sprinkled over us, but would wash us white as snow. Amen? And then the Passover was a picture of when God would one day see us through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He would pass over the transgressions of His people, of us, of the world, when He would pass over our sin and our iniquity and our perversity. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By the offering of Jesus, by the sprinkling of blood, by the pouring out of his, his blood on the cross, He has perfected forever those who are His, those who are being sanctified. The old was a picture of the new, and a few thousand years later when Jesus was the night before taking the Passover feast with the disciples, He took the first cup and prayed the prayer of blessing as they did. There was four cups. He took the second cup. And he didn't take the second cup. The second cup was the cup of the plagues when they would pour out and remember God's judgment on Israel. Instead, Jesus skipped right to the third cup, the cup of redemption. Why did he skip that cup? The old celebration was a celebration of delivering, of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. But this was a new covenant. This was a new Passover when a, uh, God would, a celebration of God delivering His people from their slavery to sin. And this Passover, Moses kept and is continuing even to today. It says in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, right there, verse 28, By faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. There had been nine other, uh, what are they called? Plagues that were given. It took faith, excuse me, it took faith then, for the children of Israel and for Moses to say, there has been nine other plagues and nothing has come of them. What's going to make this plague so much different? Why would the mere sprinkling of blood have such a great effect? And if the children of Israel were really going to leave that night from Egypt, shouldn't they be packing bags and stuff and getting ready for their departure rather than being consumed with all the details of the Passover sacrifice? It took them to walk by faith. And it is in light of such opposing thoughts that only faith could move a person to walk in obedience to the command of God. And not just a person, but all the people. It's now moving into the faith of all of Israel. God is calling all of Israel to walk by faith, not just Moses, but all of Israel to walk by faith. Had Moses not had faith to go to the children of Israel and tell them to sprinkle the blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their houses, 
that night would not have held so great a victory and there very likely would not have been any exodus at all. But they didn't ignore the command of God. They said, all right, we've got to walk by faith. Sometimes we have to walk by this kind of same faith where we say, Lord, by faith, I'm going to apply your blood to my life. I can't see that thing being forgiven, that thing I did, or that thing that was done to me. But Lord, I'm going to by faith apply the blood to my life, to my mind, to my heart, to my past, my present, and my future. And I'm going to by faith believe that you passing over, Lord, you're forgiving it. You're forgiving my iniquity and my perversity. I will by faith believe. Just like they by faith said, all right, we'll take the blood and we'll put it on the doorpost and the lintels that the Lord will pass over us as he's going by and have mercy on us. Our fifth point tonight, this this will be a short one. Moses passed on a legacy of faith. Verse 29, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Our first point of the evening was that Moses was living in a legacy of faith. The legacy of his parents. His parents walked by faith and he said, yes, I'm going to walk in that same kind of faith. Our last point, Moses passed on a legacy of faith. And these aren't just points I'm making up for the fun of it because it sounds cool. It's what the scripture says. This passage starts with the faith of Moses and ends with the faith of other people, not Moses. People that he would pass on the legacy of faith to. We all know the story of the Red Sea Crossing. We, we just, 45 minutes ago, looked at it. Moses is there faced pretty much with the same exact predicament as his parents. Egypt behind them, wanting to kill, not this time, just a son, but the entire children of Israel, all of God's children. And Moses, the same as his parents, standing in front of a body of water, even as his parents would have taken him, wrapped him up, put him in a basket, and set him on the reeds of the river. Moses now took his staff in his hand, even as his parents took their child in their hands, and he plunged the, river, or plunged the Red Sea with his staff by faith, believing that Egypt would not prevail. Egypt and their death sentence for the children of Israel would not prevail, even as the Pharaoh's death sentence for the chosen uh, one of God who would deliver Israel did not prevail. Moses was walking in the same legacy of faith as his parents. But notice here in verse 29, whose faith is highlighted? It's not the faith of Moses, but the faith of Israel. Moses received a legacy of faith from his parents that he walked in. And now Moses was passing on a legacy of faith to the children of Israel. And I would just pray that that would be how our lives are, that we'd be able to pass on that kind of legacy of faith. Moses modeled faith. God came through on his word and the people of Israel followed right in stride. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you so much for the story of Moses. Lord, we want to walk in that legacy of faith. Maybe we don't have a legacy of faith from our parents, but Lord, we want to walk in the legacy of faith of those who came before us, your children who came before us. Lord, Jesus, we want to walk 
and of the legacy of faith that, that you demonstrated in enduring the cross. And Lord, we know that this kind of faith does not come by power. It does not come by might. It is by your Spirit. So we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we can walk by unhindered, absolute, obedient faith. Teach us how, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you, God, and we just want to worship you now. We give our hearts to you. We surrender everything to you, all that we have, Lord. It's, it's all for you, Jesus. All of our hopes and our plans, what we understand and what we don't, we surrender it all to you, Lord. Your will be done in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to worship, the prayer team is off to my left. and.